We started Luke's Gospel in 2016, the week after Resurrection Sunday. So we've been in Luke's Gospel for 21 months. I hope and pray that you've enjoyed this study. I know that I have tremendously. And as we started Luke's Gospel, the week after Resurrection Sunday, of course, it starts out with the account of the birth, the arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's kind of interesting um, that the week before Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we're talking about his resurrection. But I love Luke's Gospel because we really see Jesus. And, and remember the Greeks in John's Gospel came and said, we wish to see Jesus. And that's what I love about going through the Gospels is um, what I pray and hope is that you've gotten to know him more in his goodness and his faithfulness and his love for you. And what I want to do is at this Christmas season is just spend a little time in prayer praying for you and for your families because maybe perhaps you're here, maybe a lot of us, that, that we feel that last rush of Christmas. And even though we try to put a lot of those things aside, I don't know about you, but every year I say I'm going to do that and then it ends up becoming busy. And particularly now, and this week we have things to do, maybe shopping and baking and some of you may be traveling and traveling plans and school that needs to finish up and things like that. What I pray is that we would just really keep our eyes on the Lord and just rest in him and his promises for us and that we would really enjoy one another um, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And remember, if you're here, and I don't know what state you may be in, maybe perhaps you're feeling anxious this Christmas or feeling anxious for the new year, or maybe you hurt in your heart, or maybe that you're wondering about what the new year is going to bring. Whatever the case may be, that you would remember this, that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. And God is with you, and he loves you, and he desires to give you his peace and joy, gladness of heart, all those things that are spoken of at Christmas, and it's only found in him. And you and I can come here, whatever it is that we may be facing, and some of you are facing difficult things. You know, as the first two services, people would come to me and say, please pray that, uh, you know, I'm getting tested for cancer or had a death of a loved one or whatever the case may be, that we can be thankful as believers because Jesus Christ came to this world, right? And he died for you and for me. And that he's alive, he rose from the grave, and we have a living hope. And we can tell others of that living hope, and we can encourage one another. We can be thankful for the body of Christ. I'm so thankful for you as I look back at how God has worked this year and provided for us. And just watching him do that in such a marvelous, wonderful way. And people have gotten saved even today, the first two services. And they're growing in the word of God. And, and isn't it wonderful? And I believe that he wants to do such wonderful things in our lives, in your life personally, in your family, and also in this church family. But may we just kind of slow down. Sometimes we can even get rushed on Sunday mornings because we have time limits. Not so much for this service. We can go till 3 o'clock in the afternoon if we want to, but we won't do that. But we do, we do get rushed, and, and we get busy, and we get into the routines and things like that. But this morning, I want to take a little time, especially as we finish Luke's Gospel, to just go to the Lord and thank him for this year and, and to remember that he has come 
to this world, the Savior of the world. And we got so much to be blessed about and, and receiving his blessing and salvation and forgiveness. And that may carry on in through the Christmas season and into the new year. So, Father, we thank you so much for, Lord, that we're here once again as we customarily meet on Sunday. And, Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. The giving of your Son, the child that is born unto us, who came for a purpose to go to a cross and die for our sins, and he rose again. And as we read this account in Luke of, of Jesus being alive, there was doubt, there was fear, there was confusion in the hearts of the disciples. And perhaps that this morning, that some come in with the same kind of heart, maybe fear of what is ahead, or maybe doubts that, that you're going to provide, maybe perhaps confusion. You're not the God of confusion. Maybe just feeling weak. And Lord, I pray that this Christmas season, that at this moment, that we would get our eyes on you and our focus on you. Maybe there are those that are here that are just thinking it's hard to, to really just worship and, and um, come and, and to be focused on the word because of all the things that need to be done this week or before the end of the year, whatever the case may be, Lord. That we want to see that Christ child that was given to us by a loving Father who didn't destroy this world. And you could have, but you gave your Son. And even as it is told to us in the Christmas story, don't be afraid. We're born unto us in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. To have that message of good tidings that will be to all peoples, and that we truly do have that peace and joy, a heart of thanksgiving and gladness of heart because we have Jesus in our lives. And whatever it is that we may be going through, Emmanuel, God is with us. And we can be established in you and in your promises and word that you would fill your people with peace and joy, gladness of heart because Jesus is alive. And we believe in a risen Savior that, Lord, that we would leave this place with the assurance of your promises. And, Lord, we have a wonderful future ahead. And even though times may be difficult and trials come our way, Lord, we know that you're in, with us in the midst of those difficulties and trials and hurts and loss. And Lord, that if we can trust you with our salvation, we can trust you with our lives. So, Lord, bless this time as we study your word now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Luke chapter 24, as we conclude Luke's gospel, we read in verse 36 of the chapter, Now, as they, that is the disciples, said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself handle me. And see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And in verse 40, And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still, did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? 
And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Of course, Jesus has risen from the grave, coming forth from that tomb that he was placed in after he died on Calvary's cross, taken upon your sins and my sins. And on the cross, from the darkness, he cried out, it is finished. And then he would breathe his last. It was then Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two council members, that broke ranks with the religious leaders to take the body of Jesus down, prepare him for burial, and put him into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea that had never been used. And on that first day of the week after his death, we know that the account is given to us that certain women, they are identified to us in verse 10 of the chapter, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joanna, and the other women with them, they make the discovery that the tomb is empty. And there's the message of the angels that he has risen from the grave. He is not here. And those women went back to where the 11 apostles had gathered. Of course, Judas, the betrayer, he's no longer with them, taking his own life. Life, and they tell the 11 how the body of Jesus was gone. It would be John and Peter that would then go to the tomb. They would look into the tomb. They would see the grave clothes of Jesus, but the body of Jesus was gone. They would leave, and then John's gospel tells us that Mary Magdalene would go back to the tomb, and as Mary would look into the tomb, see an angel, turn around. She would see who she supposed was a gardener. And she said, tell me where you've taken him, and I will go and get him and bring him back. And it was Jesus that spoke one word, Mary, and she recognized that it was her Lord. And Jesus said to her, go and tell the brethren that I am ascending to my father. And Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. And then last week, we saw that Jesus on the same day, it's the longest account really of what took place on that resurrection uh, Sunday, that Jesus appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize the Lord. And Jesus, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So after they would sit down and breaking bread together and receiving that teaching from him, those two men recognized, yes, it is the Lord. They would then hightail it back to Jerusalem to tell the apostles and the others that were with them, as we saw there in um, verse 33 of the chapter, that the Lord is risen. And they said, the Lord has risen indeed, and Simon has seen him. And as I mentioned last week, I wonder who was with them. It doesn't tell us. But you wonder, was it Joseph and Nicodemus? Was it Mary, the mother of Jesus, that was with the 11 there? Is there behind closed doors? Was it some of the believers that we have seen given to us their names in the Gospels? And as they're there together, they say, the Lord is risen. He has appeared to Simon Peter. And now in verse 37, when Jesus appeared to them, they were terrified and frightened. Now, it's bad enough to be terrified. But to be frightened on top of that, that's a little bit much. And so they thought that he was a ghost, and he shows them his hands and feet. He said, handle me, verse 39, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And why do you doubt? And why are you so troubled? And Jesus appearing to them, those wounds still on his hands and his feet in his side. We know that the next week that he would appear to Thomas. Thomas isn't with them uh, at this time, apparently, is what we get uh, the idea. And so Thomas, being gone, 
that Jesus would appear to the 11. He would then come and appear to Thomas and say, Thomas, doubting Thomas, of course, you know, reach into my hands, the nail marks, into my side where that Roman soldier thrust that spear up into his side. Touch me, handle me. The spear doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And so Jesus here telling them to handle him and touch him, that they would know that he rose from the grave. And one day we're going to see our Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 5 tells us to be absent from the body. That is, when we breathe our last means that you're going to be present with the Lord. It really is a glorious day and a glorious moment for the believer. And we will see our Lord. And I just wonder if we're going to see those scars, those marks that Jesus bears for us. Because it is interesting that John, later in his life, John who is here, that as at the end of his life, he's exiled to the island of Patmos and he is given those visions as he wrote the apocalypse. And he saw the lamb in chapter 5 of Revelation as though he had been slain. That is Jesus still bearing those marks of his crucifixion and suffering. And then as we see the, the, the lamb as though he had been slain, that there's a multitude of people, which I believe is the church. And there the multitude is singing a new song. That you redeemed us to God by your blood. That's speaking of Jesus. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations. That's the church. And you've made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Isn't that wonderful? To know that you and I, that we're going to rule and reign with him when he comes and establishes his kingdom. And it's a discussion and a truth that we are going over as we go through Isaiah's prophecy. You don't want to miss the book of Isaiah as we look at those things. But you and I, we have such a wonderful future. And that's why we can rejoice this Christmas and have a gladness of heart. Because we're going to go home to be with the Lord. Those of us who have come to him and believe in him and received him. And we're going to rule and reign with him. And we belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. And John in his gospel telling us that at this account here that the door was locked for fear of the Jews. And Jesus comes and walks right through the door and stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. Shalom. I think it's the first time that we see Jesus use this word. And remember when Jesus was born in Luke chapter 2, it tells us that suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God as they were given that message of the, the birth of the Savior, one who is born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the angel saying to those shepherds out in the field who were so afraid that I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be to all peoples, not just for you shepherds and you in Israel, but for all who would believe in him. And we know that as they were praising God, they were saying glory to God in the highest on earth and peace and goodwill towards men. And here he says, peace to you, shalom. And at his resurrection, he knows and he would encourage them that you can have peace. And we do have peace even today. Because Jesus came to this world, born in Bethlehem, died for our sins and rose again. And now as Paul would write to the Ephesian church in chapter 2, verse 14 of that epistle, for he himself is our peace. We have peace with God because our sins separated us from God. We're at enmity with God. And now that we've come to Jesus Christ, he is the mediator. He is the savior. And he is our peace. And as we have peace with God, know this, that as you journey through life and as you walk with him, 
And as you serve him and you worship him, he desires to give us the peace of God. And I want to remind you that it's not found anywhere else. It is found in knowing him and knowing that Jesus is alive, that he has saved me and he loves me and he is with me. Paul would write in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So why did Jesus appear to these apostles that are afraid and doubting and, and, and full of confusion? Why did he appear to them and the others and say, behold, my hands and my feet handle me. Well, I think there's five reasons here that I'm going to mention very quickly. You can write them down in your notes or in your margins. But number one, you can write down to identify himself. He appears to them to identify himself. He says, it's me, guys. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. He would be identified by the scars in his hands and feet. They knew that he was pinned to that cross on Calvary, and it was Jesus that bore those scars for not only them, but for you and for me, so that we would be forgiven. No one else did that for you. Will you always remember that? No one else did that for you. Only Jesus has those scars. Only Jesus died for your sins. And that's why he's so unique. I've mentioned this before, but I hope that we understand it and, and that we would be able to give that defense to the hope that is within us. As people say, what makes you know, Christianity so unique? Why, why is Jesus the way? And what's Christianity so different than any other religious belief? Well, only Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross to die for you and for our sins. No one else did that. And secondly, you can write down, he rose from the grave. He says, handle me. The spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. As you see, I have every other religious leader or guru or proclaimer that died, whether it's Muhammad, Confucius, Buddha, are still in the grave. Only Jesus rose from the grave. And he validated that truly, what he did on the cross to bring forgiveness that he's the son of God, he conquered sin and death. And these disciples, listen, are going to take the gospel throughout the world and they needed to get it right. And you and I need to get it right. That Jesus bodily died on the cross for our sins and he bodily rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death and he is the son of God and is alive and now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Thirdly, that there would be those who would come along and would deny that he rose bodily from the grave, even in the early church. There are those today that do the same thing. And in the early church, there were those called the Gnostics. Perhaps some of you in your Bible study that you know that the Gnostics infiltrated the early church there in the first century. The word Gnostic means to know. They claim to have superior knowledge, that we have unique knowledge. Listen, when anybody ever comes along and says, we have superior knowledge. We have revelation that nobody else knows and only we know. You know what? That's a big red flag. And as they were infiltrating the church, they were telling people that Jesus didn't really come bodily. It only looked like he was in a body and, and he didn't suffer and die and rise from the grave bodily. And so they were denying that. 
And we know that John, who's here in this room, hearing Jesus say, handle me, touch me. A spirit doesn't have, you know, flesh and, and, and bones. And John, at the end of his life, as he is writing to the church that was uh, receiving this false doctrine, he would start his first epistle in 1 John 1, 1, that that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, that is Jesus. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. John, towards the end of his life, is saying, listen, we touched him, we handled him, he had a body, and right away way refutes the Gnostics who were saying that Jesus didn't have a body when he came to this earth. So number one, he says, touch me, handle me, because it identifies him, that he's the one that died for us. Second of all, that he rose from the grave bodily. Thirdly, that it would confirm as we have those who say, oh, Jesus didn't really rise from the grave. You know, it was just he rose spiritually. or It was the Christ consciousness that rose Baloney, he rose bodily from the grave. And because of that, you can put number four, then we have the promise that we're going to be raised from the grave. Isn't that glorious? Because these bodies are going to wear out. And one day we're going to be raised in that new uh, heavenly body that we'll receive from the Lord. And again, Paul writes about that, the resurrection. The resurrection is that new heavenly body that we will receive for all eternity. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As soon as we take our last breath, we go to be with the Lord. But one day, as we're going to see that Paul is explaining here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that will receive that new heavenly body. He's writing about the resurrection of Jesus. And in verse 20, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, and even in Christ all shall be made alive. In verse 23, but each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits afterwards, those who are in Christ at his coming. So at the rapture of the church, that our bodies, which are put in the ground or perhaps cremated, is going to be raised up and we're going to get new heavenly bodies. So I want us to be clear on that because the Jesus rose from the grave. We have the promise that our bodies are going to be resurrected as well. And then number five, you can write down so that we can have peace. Listen, people are looking for peace in their lives. How can I have peace in my life? How can I have peace in my heart? It is only found in Jesus Christ and knowing that indeed he is alive and that he is with us. And we have that living hope as Peter would write at the end of his life as he wrote 1 Peter through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, it's not found in anything else or in anyone else. And if you're here and you're looking for peace in your heart and you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will not have true lasting peace. It is only found in a close relationship with him and embracing him and being forgiven in your heart. 
So Jesus here saying, handle me, he would ask for some food and ate in their presence. And, and then in verse 44, he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. All these things must be fulfilled. These are the words that I spoke to you. Of course, uh, those disciples, those apostles, they didn't understand everything that was taking place over the last three days. Even though Jesus has been speaking to them six months prior to this over and over again, that this is what's going to happen, that the scriptures must be fulfilled. And here they are confused, and, and they're still doubting. Matter of fact, it's kind of interesting that you read in verse uh, 34 that the Lord has risen is what they said, the 11 who, those who are with them. And indeed, he has appeared to Simon. And, and, and then all of a sudden, uh, they're touching him, and it says in verse uh, 41, they still did not believe. In other words, they're kind of going back and forth. They're still confused. They're still taking this in and, and trying to process all of this. And they're doubting and they're not believing and they're full of fear and they're terrified. And Jesus tells them that all these things must be fulfilled which was written and understand that the cross was not some unfortunate circumstance. Sometimes I've heard those that you know, talk like, oh, Jesus was such a great teacher and humanitarian and and too bad that, you know, he fell into the hands of, you know, the Romans and the religious leaders and was crucified. No, he came for that very purpose. It was ordained before the foundation of the world that that would take place. And we know that Jesus was in control. He would say, this is my hour to die for sinful humanity. And I spoke to you about this. These things were written in the law of Moses, the prophets of old concerning me. It was necessary for God to redeem sinful men. And of course, in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. So he opened up their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And I have that underlined in my Bible. He opened up their minds to understand truth, the scriptures, what the prophets of old were saying, not to understand so they can be culturally relevant or to promise prosperity, and this is your year, or to press a social agenda, but to understand scriptures, not to deny the scriptures, not to compromise the scriptures, not to avoid the scriptures, but to give them understanding. And how is it that you and I have understanding and hope and peace? The Word of God given to us as we understand it and then as we embrace the Word of God. And that's what we need desperately today. And what is understood is this in verse 46. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third days, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. He tells them that there are three things that must happen, three imperatives. <coughs> these things must happen, that the Son of Man must first of all suffer, Second of all, to rise. And then thirdly, to preach. Three things that you can note here that must happen. 
that Christ must suffer and must rise. That has happened. And then the third thing that must happen is to preach. That is to declare to this world, to those around you, that Jesus suffered and died for your sins and he rose from the dead the third day and that, this is where you and I come in, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. First of all, repentance. Now, we know that's a popular message in the church today, right? Isn't it? Repent. People can't wait to hear that word. But I, even though I'm being a little facetious, you know, about that, the reality is, is that it's not preached or taught or discussed in many circles of Christianity and those who teach the Word of God. The mentality is we don't want to turn people off and we don't want to use that word. And what can happen is we conjure up a picture of an angry looking preacher pointing at you saying, repent. And in some circles of Christianity, it is delivered in that way, unfortunately. It can sound so restrictive. It can sound so harsh and and it's not popular. And you're not being sensitive to people and it's judgmental. Listen. Repentance is an invitation from a loving God, from Almighty God, to change, to change your mind, to turn to God. Repentance. Remember in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. And when Jesus says concerning John the Baptist that he was greatest born among women, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's the greatest born among women. According to Jesus' word, he was greater born up to that time, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than David, greater than Solomon or Daniel or Elijah or Isaiah or Jeremiah. Greater born among women. He was greater than Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar or Alexander the Great or Julius Caesar. He was greater because his message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and multitudes upon multitudes from all over Israel, from Perea, from the Decapolis, without social media, without the internet, without Facebook, without Instagram, without the radio, multitudes came out to hear him preach. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and to be baptized, which was a baptism of repentance. And God says to us, it is the cry of almighty God to repent and come back to me. And he is calling us to himself and he is calling this nation which we can be so frustrated and concerned about, right? This world. But to remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God is calling this culture and this generation in all of our intellect and all of our claiming to be philosophically enlightened in all of our psychology, in all of our rebellion, in all of our hardness of heart and darkness and hopelessness. He is calling us to repentance. And it is an invitation and a word from a loving God, turn back to me. Turn back to me. Because I love you. And I've made provision for you. 
And don't continue to go in a direction that is away from me. Because you are going to be empty and you're going to be deceived and you're going to be defeated. And you're going to be sad in your heart and in bondage and you will be lost and you will die. And you will be separated from me for all eternity. And know that Jesus came to this world 2,000 years ago, born in Bethlehem, went to a cross so that we could turn to him, repent, and have remission of sins. That is, our sins are forgiven, washed, and gone. That's the good news. Turn to me. You are witnesses of these things. In verse 48, he says this to us, to, to, to these guys who are afraid and doubting and slow to believe and confused and all of this. At this time, would you have picked these guys? I mean, I would have said, I'm not so sure about this. I'm going to go out and find some men of influence, right? Great scholars, those who are known for their boldness and courage. He says, you guys, you men from Galilee, you fishermen. And of course, as we're going to read in verse 49, that he says, wait for the coming of the promise of the Father. You're going to be endured on high from the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you so you can be witnesses for the Lord. And that's fulfilled in Acts chapter 1 as they were praying in that upper room and then the Holy Spirit came upon them to give them the power to dunamis, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you recall as they go out boldly proclaiming the gospel and preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified that the religious leaders, the elite of the religious council there would arrest them and bring those apostles before the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, and, and they perceived that those guys were untrained and uneducated men. But then it says that they marveled because they realized that those guys had been with Jesus. You see, for you and for me, he says, you are my witness in this dark world to bring a message of repentance and remission of sins, that Jesus died for you and rose again, and he loves you and wants to give you life and life abundantly. You who are teachers, and you guys out in the oil fields, you moms that are raising your children at home, you nurses, you who work retail, you who are waitress and the mechanic instruction guys, you who, whoever you are, you and me with all of our shortcomings and failures and stuff, let them call us untrained and uneducated. But what I pray is as they look at your life that they may marvel because they know that you've been with Jesus. They know that it's more than just something that you've embraced, but it's someone that you've embraced. And the reality of Jesus Christ being worked out in your life to give light to them. You are to be witnesses of these things of him. And verse 49, Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high as the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 would come upon them to give them the power to do what God has called them to do, to proclaim the gospel, to be a witness for him. You say it was more than go out and witness. You will be my witness in the way that you live your life. And we need the same thing. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I go to the Lord, and you're to go to the Lord and say, Lord, just fill me with your spirit. Holy Spirit, come upon me. Empower me to live a life after you. And know, just even as we read in Luke's gospel, that Jesus said that those who ask of the Holy Spirit, he will give to those who ask. Because he's a good father. And we need the Holy Spirit that lives in us and upon us 
to help us to live a life for him, that people may see the reality of Jesus and to be a witness for him. And then in verse 15, he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Notice that he went as far as Bethany. You might recall that that is the town of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But he lifted up his hands, he blessed them, and as he was doing it, he was lifted up and went on into heaven. We know that the scriptures tell us he was with them for 40 days after his crucifixion. He had been around among them for 40 days when um, he would ascend into heaven. Now, when you go to Jerusalem today, when we come up from the Jordan Valley, we come to the Mount of Olives, make that ascent, and, and you'll see three towers. You know you're coming to the Mount of Olives because there's three towers there. There are actually three churches that have been built over the spot where they believe the ascension to happen. They're on top of the Mount of Olives. The scripture says that he went as far as Bethany, which is on the east side of the Mount of Olives. So I'm glad there's no church that's there and you know they do that they build a church over a holy spot Uh, the most important thing is he ascended Uh, not the exact location but there as far as Bethany he went somewhere he ascended up into heaven and that's an important fact for you and for me in verse 52 and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy the last act of Jesus after his resurrection was to bless the first act of the believers after his ascension was to worship You know why we come and worship? Because we're blessed, right? Because of who he is. That he is worthy of our worship, but we really can worship with a heart of gratitude and gladness because he has blessed us. I know sometimes we don't feel blessed. But if we just stop and just remember his provision of salvation and forgiveness... And how he has provided for us. And it just causes you to have a heart of thanksgiving, which then causes you to begin to worship. And I pray that worship is more than than what we just do here on Sunday morning or Wednesday nights or as we gather corporately. But we would have a heart of worship every single day. And so they worshiped and they returned with great joy. And then as they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God, amen. And Luke, who's called the beloved physician there in the scriptures, puts down his pen. And that's the gospel of Luke. Remember that Luke starts in the temple with Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. And the angel came to Zacharias and says, Zacharias, you're going to have a son. And Zacharias said, no way, it can't be. The angel said, okay, you're not going to speak a word. Till the baby is born. So Luke's gospel starts in the temple with a guy not able to say a word because he didn't believe what he was told. And Luke's gospel ends in the temple with people rejoicing and singing and praising and blessing God because they do believe. If there's anyone that you're here and you don't believe, I pray that you would come to believe. That you would come as we gather the temple of God, the body of Christ, that you would know indeed that he's alive and that he is your salvation and that he's provided forgiveness of sin and that he is your hope. Not found in a church, not found in you. It's only found in him and receiving him and coming to him. And that all of us, that we would leave this place continually 
praising and blessing God and worshiping him for great things that he has done. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this incredible gospel that we've had the privilege to go through over the weeks and months. And I do pray that as we close out this gospel, Lord, that again, that there would be no doubt in anyone's heart that Jesus Christ is alive, died for our sins, and rose from the grave. And if there is anyone that's here in the sanctuary or in the coffee shop, maybe you're listening on live stream, or maybe even later this message on the radio, that if you've never surrendered your life, that is to turn direction to repent and to believe that he died for your sins and to receive him as your Lord and Savior, we want to give you the invitation right now for you to believe. Jesus loves you, and that's why he came and died for you. And he is your hope. He is your salvation. He is the Savior of the world. He is the way. There's none other. He bears those scars as a loving Savior who suffered and died for you and rose from the grave. He is true and faithful. And he wants you to come to him. The invitation is given. Will you do that? So that you can be forgiven and have eternal life and peace in your heart. Have peace with God and the peace of God. To have true joy. to fill your heart with gladness and joy to know him and to walk with him to have a new beginning and if that's you give your life to Jesus you can pray right where you are that Jesus I come to you and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and I believe you died on that cross for me you're alive speaking to my heart and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior I thank you for dying for me. I believe you're alive, forgiving me, and giving me a living hope. I want to walk with you and know you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. If anybody here, you prayed that prayer, will you just put your hand up and put it back down? Anybody at all in this service? I'm not going to prolong it or manipulated just if you've given your life to Jesus if you're out in a coffee shop you can put your hand up but we give this invitation all the time so Father I, I do pray if there's anybody I don't see or maybe listening to this message on live stream or later on that they made a decision for Christ I thank you for this morning some have and the other two services but Lord we thank you always the work that you're doing in the hearts of your people and Father, I do pray that all of us would go out of this place rejoicing in gladness of heart and that we would speak what we know, being witnesses to those around us. So Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. I hope that's our prayer. Lord, fill me. Empower me. I need you to walk in your ways, to be free from sin and carnality and to be a light for you. I want to be used in these last days, this Christmas season, this new year. So 
Lord, I thank you for the work that you've done in the hearts of your people. Lord, bless everyone here as we go our way this week. And show yourself strong on our behalf. And bless us in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, 